You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Today I'm going to be ministering to you on empowerment. I'm going to show you some things that will that'll release the empowerment of Christ. Uh, you could say that you're empowered to prosper. I didn't want to use the word prosper because sometimes it gives a, a negative connotation that all we're talking about is money. What I'm talking about an empowerment in every area in your life to win at, to succeed at, whether it is raising a toddler or whether it is sending your kids to college or whether it is your career. God wants to empower us to do that. And I'm going to show you some truth today that will enlighten that to you and show you actually how to release it in your life. So if you would, uh, take a look up at the screen. This is John chapter 8, and it's a very familiar verse, but I'm going to read uh, several of the verses here. It says this, Then Jesus said unto those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most surely I say unto you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. Say it with me. If the son makes me free, I am free indeed. Praise God. Now, this particular set of verses is really kind of cool because uh, it's, it's talking about some people that believed on Christ, but they weren't yet disciples. How many know there's a difference between just believing in Christ and being a disciple? He's pointing out a distinct difference. And these people had started to believe in him, but you have to continue to believe to become a disciple. And the result will be that you'll be set free from different things in your life that are putting you in bondage and so forth and so forth. There's a lot of people in the church today that believe in Christ, but there's not a lot of disciples in the church because a disciple takes commitment. A disciple is a person that decides that I'm going to not only believe that I'm going to uh, receive eternal life and be with Jesus in life to come, but I'm also going to believe that the atonement and the sacrifice that he did in his life benefits me here in this life, and he can heal me, he can transform me, and he can bless my family in many ways. Amen? You remember the story of Lazarus? This is a friend of Jesus. They were close friends. And you remember he was sick, and Jesus delayed him going. Anyway, he ends up dying. He's in the grave four days. And on the fourth day, Jesus raises him from the dead, and he's in a tomb, and in those days when someone died, they would wrap you up with a bunch of stuff. And I don't know how he got to the edge of the tomb. I don't know if he hopped, whatever, when he got resurrected. But he's standing there, and Jesus says, loose him. And I believe it's very symbolic of many Christians today. They've been resurrected. They're alive, but they're still bound. They're bound by addictions. They're bound by financial pressure. They're bound by illnesses. This is no condemnation. They're bound by marriage problems. And what I want you to know today is I want to I loose you. I said I want to loose you. I want to loose you from those addictions in your life that are keeping you from being the kind of person that God wants you to be. He wants you to have joy, unspeakable, full of glory. He wants you to have peace. 
in the midst of the storm. But it's going to be a decision on your part where you'll actually become a disciple. That means someone who is a trainer, someone who is disciplined, someone who's t- going to church not just to put in his weekly worship time, but to be trained how to reign in the righteousness of God. Now, if that's you, which I believe it is most of you, that God wants you to be free. I, I don't really personally believe that it's God's will for someone to be in bondage their whole life. We all have trials and tribulation, but God doesn't want you to be in bound to them all your life. I like what David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, I don't build a house in it. I don't build a mansion in the valley. I'm going through the shadow of death. Amen. And I'm coming out the other side. God wants you coming out the other side. Praise God. And I know that this is something that is not necessarily true in the church today in America. Now, I learned this particularly with COVID-19. I looked at people in the world and I looked at people in the church and the people in the church were as scared as the people in the world. And it doesn't mean that we're stupid and foolish and all that. But we should not have the same level of anxiety and pressure the world has. We shouldn't have our lives being governed by uh, the fear of the culture. We should have our lives governed by God. We should be different. We should be healed far more than the people in the world are healed. We should be prospering far more than the people in the world are prospering. We should be excelling in that. And I believe it's because we don't want to put in the effort to be a disciple. A disciple is someone that decides, listen, I'm not going to live with this anymore. Jesus died on the cross for me. He became a curse for us in order that I might receive the blessings of Abraham. So I'm going to rise up, praise God, and I'm going to stand in faith and believe in the vision and dreams that God has placed within me. And I'm going to see that happen in my life, and I'm not going to back off and just submit to it and be like everyone else. I have Christ inside of me. I'm going to believe God for the best. Say amen, everybody. And you see a lot of this. Uh, with a misunderstanding concerning people's salvation. Let me explain to you. In Ephesians, it says that when you believed on Christ, that God took you and seated you in heavenly places. Another set of verses says that those, it says that we were in darkness and God translated us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. In other words, there's a spiritual emphasis spoken on what happens when you believe. When you believe, in a spiritual sense, you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me say it to you this way. Maybe this will be simpler for you here. When Jesus went to the cross, here's what he did. He had a robe of righteousness. He took off his robe of righteousness, and he put it on you, and he took your robe, which is full of sin, and he put it on himself, And took your sin, your diseases, your curse, your wrath, all the things that were wrong with humanity, and wore it on himself. And took that upon himself while he gave us his robe of righteousness, which says, hey, praise God. God wants you to reign in that righteousness. That's why we're referred to as kings. And priests, that means we're somebody. 
You're not a nobody. You're a somebody. You're somebody that God wants to reign in life with, praise God. You're awake this morning, aren't you, praise God? This is what God really desires for us to do, and we miss this sometimes. Look at this text. I want you to see this. This is Romans chapter 3. Put it up there. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart, say apart, from the deeds of the law. I want you to see this truth. In other words, the deeds of the law is not what justifies you before God. The deeds of the law is not what saved you. It's not how good you are that saves you. It's the one you believe in that saves you. And that was Jesus Christ. He's the one that did that. Now, here's my concern in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people that are teaching a crossless gospel. What do you mean crossless? In other words, they're talking about, listen, you want to you get into heaven, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to keep doing this. And if you stay good enough, you're going to get to heaven. That is a gospel that is produced from one's deeds. Our gospel, the salvation we have, is not produced from our deeds. It's produced from Christ going to the cross. He went to the cross. Himself took up our infirmities and bore away our sicknesses. And by his stripes, we were healed. Come on, praise God. This is powerful. And the Bible said that he was made sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God. And the word of God also tells us, and this is a powerful truth, it tells us that he was made poor in order that we might be made rich. On that cross, Jesus was stark naked, didn't have anything. He became a curse for us so that God could remove the curse of the law that was upon everybody in this planet. And the cross is critical when it comes to salvation. Without the cross, you're not delivered. Without the cross, there is no forgiveness. Without the cross, there's no provision. Without the cross. So I believe in preaching the cross. Amen? But we don't stay at the cross. We go all the way to the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, all the benefits of the cross are imputed to you as a believer. And that's why you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And as he is, so are you in this world. Praise God. Can we give God a praise offering right now? That would be a great idea. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, it's important to see that because I believe in right living. I live right. But I know that I know that I know that I know that the way that I'm living is not what puts me in my position. The way that I'm, or the, my position is created purely from what Christ did. That means my standing with God never changes. I'm always a son. Hallelujah. But there's a lot of people, they, they have this kind of concept that if you miss it or you sin, that you're going to lose everything that God gave you. Now, wait a minute. It'd be like adopting someone into your family and say the young man you adopted or young girl that you adopted didn't clean off their feet when they walked into the house. You said, that's it. Adoption's off. You're cast out. You don't cast them out for that. They're just kids. Amen. God knows you're just kids. He's not going to cast you out because you bring dirt into the house. He's going to, come on, praise God. Your standing is secure 
Because Christ is the one that gave it to you. Hallelujah. That's powerful. Now, to show this to you, the power of it, and I'm going to make some statements here that you may not understand, but just if you don't, just keep listening to me preach. You'll eventually get it. When a Christian believes they're forgiven of all their sins, past, present, future, not until they sin again. No, all of their sins are forgiven in the atonement. Hebrews 10 is full of it where it says, in fact, even in chapter 9, that it's a sacrifice once and for all. One-time sacrifice. That means every one of your sins have been taken care of. Did you know that God will never judge you for your sin? Oh, pastor, I don't believe that. The Bible said that God will judge you. Just hang in there. Let me explain it to you. He never judges us for our sin. That's why the judgment seat of Christ. There is no sin judgment. He'll judge you, though, for your faith. If you're wavering in your faith, if you're doubting in your faith, he'll judge you and keep back what the promise might say to you. To give you an example, Hebrews chapter 4, 1 through 3, there's a, uh, it talks about that first generation that was unable to go into the promised land. You remember that story? And what's unique about that story is it said because they wouldn't mix their faith with the promises, they couldn't enter God's rest, which means his promises. Amen? Did you know that the law had not been given when they forfeited it? In other words, uh, the Ten Commandments had not yet been given yet. Their lack of faith, God judged them because of it, and they weren't able to go in. That's how God judges the church. He judges you because you doubt. Now, sin produces doubt, but it's not the sin directly that God is judging. He's judging your faith, praise God. So we got to be faith people. we got to believe God that God's going to give us a breakthrough, that God's going to bring us over to the next level. Amen? So in the scriptures, I wanted you to see that because if we're going to get empowered by God, we're going to have to understand redemption and understand that what you do is not what got you forgiven. It's who you believed in that got you forgiven. And you always got to remember that or you'll be in this place where, well, if I'm really, really doing good here, if I'm really doing good here, I'm going to be able to get this and we should all work towards living right. But God's not answering your prayer because of the deeds you do. He's answering your prayer because of the Christ you believe in. Hallelujah. I believe Jesus is my healer. I believe Jesus is my provider. I believe that whatever I need in life is there and God will give it to you. Now, here's a key that will help because I know a lot of you are going through some stuff. I mean, if you're not going through something now, you must be dead and in heaven already. We're all going through stuff. Amen? But here's a key that I learned. You remember it's in 2 Corinthians where God says, casting down all of the imagination and thoughts and high things that come against God. Talk about spiritual warfare. This is where the devil defeats you. He defeats you in your mind. Doubt comes when you think on the wrong things. Or you think in a worldly way rather than a spiritual way. But if you read the text, the first thing it says to cast down is, this is the King James Version, 
imagination. Did you know images are the home for ideas? Images are the base camp for the ridiculous thoughts that people have to justify their sin. It's what you see. So what you need to do is when you're in this situation and everything's going haywire in your life and you look around, it doesn't look like it's working, you got to change the image. you got to cast down that negative thought. It doesn't look like it's working. doesn't look like it's changing. doesn't look like that child's going to get it together. And you got to put in a new image, put in a new vision, a new vision according to the word that my children will serve the Lord, that I'm not going to be living like this much longer, praise God. I got a new vision of more than ever, the plenty left over. Think about what the Scripture says. It's David said that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of his life. He didn't say debt would follow me all the days of his life. He didn't say that sickness would follow me all the days of his life. And he didn't say that tragedy and children being rebellious are going to follow me all the days of life. He said that goodness would follow us all the days of our life. And not just on your birthday either. Every day. So change the image. People try to cast things down, but you don't cast down without replacement. You can't just cast out a negative thought. You've got to replace it with something. And if you do that, you'll win the battle in your mind. Your faith will roar. And even though it doesn't look right, even though it don't feel right, the grace of God will be causing everything to begin to work towards you. And you'll begin to escape this and escape that in your life. It's really exciting. Really exciting. Now, I don't know if you're ready. You ready for a powerful truth today? Are you sure? Come on, I don't want to preach it unless you're pretty excited about it. Come on. You got to be fired up about it. Look at this verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Look at this. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Say, I'm complete in him. Who is the head of all principalities and powers. Do you have any idea what it means to be complete in Christ? That means there's nothing missing, nothing lacking. Everything that you need to prevail in life is in you, in Christ. Now, granted, it's on the inside of you, but it's in you. That means that you have within you whatever it takes to come out the other side blessed. I want you to write this down. You got to, if you're big on the inside you'll eventually be big on the outside. But if you're little on the inside, you'll be little on the outside. And you say, well, I'm not anything in myself. You're not in yourself. The Bible said greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I don't have to take it. I don't have to listen to that. I don't have to allow the doubt and unbelief to come in. Man, the greater one's inside of me. God's inside of me. I am a God factory. God's inside of me. Man, that gives you power when you begin to realize you're not alone. You have Christ inside of you. And he's ready to minister you in a great way. Now, here's what a lot of us have done in Christianity because we've stressed 
doing things. If I just do things, I'll get blessed. If I'll just, if I get holy enough, I'll just get this. If I just do this. And we've stressed what we do, what we do, what we do, what we do. And remember, the deeds of the law, no one's justified by them. It's by Christ. It doesn't mean we don't do good things, but it's not those deeds that do it. It's belief in Christ. So what we've done is we've taken, oh, how do I say it? We've taken the, the beginning or the, the post in the beginning, and we've said, all right, I need to pray until I get some victory. Not realizing that we need to pray from victory. I don't have to pray for victory. I already got victory. Whoever's, uh, whatever is born of God has overcome the world. This is our faith. The victory is our faith. I have to pray from victory, not for victory, from victory in my life. So you take the post, and we've taken the finish line and put it down here. When the gospel, I know this is hard to understand, but when you get saved, God takes the finish line and puts it in the beginning, and that's where we start. The finish line. Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished. Oh, glory. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus Christ took a full cup of God's wrath towards you and drank it on the cross and took every bit of wrath that you deserve because of your sinful life and drank it up and finished it off and died and then God rose him from the dead. And when he rose him from the dead, he raised you up in Christ Jesus. And you are sitting in a blessed position because the wrath of God has been removed from your life. The penalty of God, the punishment of God is removed from you in your life. Woo. Glory to God. I, uh, you can tell I get pretty excited about this. But the truth, of this, the truth is that most people are praying for things they already have. Lord, Spirit of God, please fall on us today. Holy Spirit, come down. The Holy Spirit's never left. When he came down in Pentecost, he didn't leave. He's still here. What Christians need to do is stand in faith for what they already have. Start doing the works of the ministry. Start laying hands on the sick. Start raising the dead. Start doing what God has called us to do. The power is already there. The blessing is already there. But we have to release it through the belief system that we have in our life. Amen? I'm going to read you a verse, and then I'm going to say some things to you personally that the Lord dealt with me about. Look at this in Romans chapter 3. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No. But the law of faith. Now watch the next part. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Boy, that's heavy duty. Lord, you sure? I, I'm pretty good dude. Lord, you sure that you didn't need me to make this happen? I want to, let me describe to you a self-righteous statement. God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. 
God helps those that completely depend on him. Jesus said you can do nothing without him. Nothing. Nothing. Well, you know, the Lord spoke to me about this a while back. And he said something to me, it really hurt. He said, you're self-righteous. Now, I'm the pastor, come on. I gotta be self-righteous. That really hurt. You're self-righteous. And then he began to explain to me what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is when you think you have access to greater blessings because of the deeds that you do. And then, you know, as you meditate on that, all of a sudden comes to your mind. The drug addict that came to church who had an incurable disease and prayed in faith for him and he gets healed. Or the person that was in an abusive situation and, and had been doing everything wrong and had been abusing his wife and all that and, and God heals the marriage and heals his temper and the marriage is saved. That's because God didn't do it because they were good. He did it because they believed in Christ who is good. And, I, and when I saw that, I got so excited because I realized, you know, Think about in scriptures how the goodness of God plays out. The man was at the pool of Bethesda that was there 38 years, and Jesus heals him. Now notice he's healed him first, and then afterwards he says, and by the way, stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen to you. Now, I would have said it the other way. You stop sinning first, then I'll heal you. But Jesus didn't say that. Same with the woman that was caught in adultery. He removes the condemnation from her and the sentence of death that would have happened by the crowd because of the sin she had committed. And Jesus said, I don't, con- uh, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I would have said, repent from the sin first, then I'll bless you. God says, I'll bless you first. James said that the prayer of faith would save the sick. <laughs> Come on. He's going to heal you first. And then if you committed any sins afterwards, he's going to forgive you of those as well. I thought, why would God do that? Because it's the goodness of God that changes you. It's not how good you are. It's the goodness of God. It's the fact that God won't give up on you, that God loves you with an everlasting love, that God doesn't just, you know, say, okay, you get yourself together. That's why we pray and we think some Hollywood star or some football star be great contributor to the body of Christ. Lord, you've got to save them. They have all these skills. God doesn't need their skills. All he needs is Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God will make a difference. God has given many of you that second and third and fourth chance, not because you earned it, but because you looked to Christ and said, Jesus, I need your help. Man, I can't, I can't get this breakthrough without you. I've tried to do the right thing, and I keep failing. I keep going down and keep going up. I can't seem to get consistent with anything. And, and you turn to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, I need you. I need your righteousness. I need to be able to pray right now and have God move in my life and remove this. Hallelujah. Yes. Woo, I like this. So the Lord was really teaching me there the importance of no matter how much we do that is good, it isn't the reason why we're blessed. It's because of Christ in our life. One of the key verses I've preached many, many times, but I love it, is 
on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talked about in the end of the age. He said, many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. We did wonders in your name. We built big churches. We delivered this and whatever. What are they they're boasting about what they've done? Right. You're not saved by what you do. And you know what he said to him? He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He didn't say, I knew you at some time. I never knew you at any time at all. In other words, you thought you had an intimate relationship with me based on the fact that you were doing a bunch of stuff. And you don't get an intimate relationship with me because you do a bunch of stuff. You get an intimate relationship with me by trusting in the cross, trusting in what I did for you. That's the people that I know that did that came. They're not crossless Christians. They are cross Christians. They came because of the cross. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's, it's a lot like having a great marriage. I have a great marriage. And I tell people we've been married 50 years, and they look at me and go, oh, is that even possible? Yes. You just have to have it Christ-centered. My wife, she said, honey, I want you to come in my office. I want to talk to you. I said, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I went in there, and she said, and she says, you know, I, I would like to give you your gift as a surprise for Christmas. But I can't. It's too big. She says, I want you, and she tells me what she's going to give me. That's the way God is. He sets you down and tells you how big the gift is. You love me that much? No way. Really? Yes, really. Delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord shall give you the desires of your heart. God loves you so much that he planned beforehand what you might need, what you might be excited about, because his goal is to make your joy full. His joy is to have the peace of God flow through you and you be a witness to the glory and the, gl and the kindness of God towards you so that you might be a witness to those that are lost. Yes, Come to mind, Jesus. Did you know that Jesus died for everyone in the world right now. Everyone in the world, all their sins, he's already died for. The only reason why people end up in the lake of fire is they don't receive the son. They don't receive Jesus. The price has already been paid for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't people get saved? Jesus died for you. All your sins have already been forgiven. All you got to do is receive him, and you'll get that forgiveness. That's it. It's already been done. It's not going to be done. Jesus is not going back to the cross for anybody. One time for the whole world. Every person ever born, there's an atonement for them. Oh, praise God. Remember that this holidays when you're with a bunch of, how many know in families you have fruits and nuts? But remember, you were a nut at one time as well, but God saved you. There's so many people, they're so religious. They, think about all the movies that we watch that are so-called spiritual movies. Somebody dies. They go up, and there's an angel there talking to them. Listen, well, you can't go into heaven yet. You're close. Go on back to the earth, and maybe if you do this good deed, you'll get into heaven. That is the farthest thing from the truth. 
No one gets into heaven because of their good deeds. They get into heaven because of Jesus. It was the names that were not written in the Lamb's book of life that don't make it. Everybody whose name's in the book of life, make it. Praise God. Jesus is the answer. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to share something at this point that I, I think will really help you in a great way because I know you're, many of you are in a struggle uh, in your life right now and you don't have the confidence you need in your faith. So even though you want what God promises, it seems outside of your reach because you don't have any confidence. And you don't have confidence because your heart's condemning you about this or that in your life. I'm going to show you a key to it in Scripture. And i got to just preach this to you rather than go from verse to verse. You remember Peter had denied Jesus three times. Remember that? And it was a big deal. He just didn't deny him. He cussed and swore and said, I don't know him. And Jesus had warned him and said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But I prayed after you get restored, strengthen your brother. So he's restored after the resurrection. But he's still not feeling too spunky. That's what he did. Jesus appears to him when they went to go out fishing. And uh, G Jesus gives him a supernatural catch and then cooks breakfast for him. How would you like to have Jesus cook breakfast for you? <laughs> Got to be good. Amen. So he cooks breakfast for him. And then he's talking to Peter. Now, remember, when he's talking to Peter, John is sitting right next to Peter, listening to the conversation. And Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Hey, no big deal. That would have been great if he'd only said it once. But he said it twice. And he said it three times. I don't know if that's significant with the fact that he denied him three times. But he said it to him three times. If you love me, feed my sheep. And then Peter says something that is extremely spiritual. Third time he's grieved, and he says this. He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know I love you. Now, think about this for a minute. First John, John sitting right next to me, hears this conversation. First John, John talks about when your heart condemns you, it's going to affect your prayer life. And then he says this, when that happens, remember this, that God knows all things. In other words, God knows you love him even when you're doing stupid things. Why? Because he knows your heart. He knows you didn't want to do the wrong thing, but you did the wrong thing. He knows you want to do the right thing, but you don't always do the right thing. He knows you love him. And when you focus in on what he did to you and changed your heart, because when I was a sinner, I could sin and I wanted to sin. I could do evil and I wanted to do it. I didn't struggle with it at all. I loved it. I'd go to sleep at night like a baby. But when I got saved, everything changed. Oh, man, I should have never said that to you. My heart don't want it. That's why it says the born-again person does not a sin. Why? His heart has been changed. The seed of Christ is inside of him. He can sin in his flesh. He can sin in his soul, but his spirit doesn't want to sin. And, and when you remember that, you real, you, it begins to give you confidence. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
I can have confidence before God, not because I'm perfect, but because salvation is perfect in my life. And it's because God loves me. And God knows I love him. Sure, I've dropped the ball, but God knows I love him. That's why I keep going back to him. That's why I keep praying. That's why I keep praising him. That's why I keep thanking him. That's why I can't run from him. That's why I can't stay from him. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Wow. Whew. That's how you get your confidence back. Is by focusing in on what he did for you. Let me give you another verse. Romans 7. Paul said, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. An unbeliever doesn't do that. They do what they want to do, period. That's a believer. And then he said, who can save me from this body? And then he said, Jesus can. And then he says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes down and he tells us in the rest of the chapter, if you set your mind on spiritual things, you're not going to fulfill the flesh, but you're going to fulfill the spirit and you're going to see the victory that you want. In other words, start believing right and you'll start living right and you'll start prevailing in your life as you focus in on what Christ has done for you personally. Whew, glory to God. Like I said, in marriage, you see that with a wife looking after her husband. And, you know, I tell people we've been married 50 years and they think I'm crazy. But it took 50 years for my wife to train me. Don't look at me like a new bone. You, you give me that look, oh, Pastor, I got it to get no you on. I, I, I talk to your wife. I know what your wife says about you, praise God. But a great marriage, you, you do so much for each other, even when you're not aware of it. You see this ring right here? This has, guys, I don't know how many diamonds it has. It's got a lot of little diamonds in there. You know, my, you know where this came from? This came on our 25th wedding anniversary. And we were down in downtown Seattle at, uh, what's that hotel we go to? You know the hotel? Edgewater. That's where, that's where we had our honeymoon thing at. And I'm sitting there, and my wife brings out this ring. She said, I've been saving for years to get this for you. I mean, I, you know, I'm going along, I'm thinking, you know, we don't have enough money to do this. We don't have enough money to do that. And she's been saving for 25, or not a long time, 25 years to give me this ring. And that's her love towards me. Imagine the love that Christ has for you. From the foundation of the world. God began to plan for your family, plan for your healing, plan for your forgiveness, plan for your breakthrough, plan for your future. Before you were ever born, before your parents 
even got together, God had planned for them to come together because they were going to birth you. Because God had something, oh, glory to God. It's pretty good. So no one's a mistake. No, right, right in God's plan. And whatever you're going through, God has something good for you. You got to remember, it's not out. You don't have to say, God, you need to create this. He already thought of it. Faith is nothing more than receiving what God has already initiated. It's receiving what he's already planned for. It's dreaming about what he's already dreamed you to do. What I love about Christianity is not about what I have to do. It's about what I want to do. I want to forgive. I want to stretch my faith. I want to serve. I want to be a good example. I want to walk in love. I want to walk in holiness. Not about what I have to do. It's about what I want to do. That's your gift today. Give God praise, everybody. Powerful. Powerful. Let me close with this very quickly. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, not Hebrews, Haggai chapter 2. And I want to show you when the blessing starts. A lot of people think the blessing is after you do something. But the blessing actually starts the moment you step out in faith. Look what it says. Is the seed still in the barn as yet the vine, the fig tree, pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit? But from this day, I will bless you. This time about Israel, they were to rebuild the temple and they had stopped the building project and now they've acted on it. And from the moment they acted on it, they were blessed. The blessing not only finishes what you start in faith, but it enables you to go through your life. It, when you're in faith, it enables you to put up with the stress, put up with the pressure. It enables you to find the way out. It enables you to get the wisdom. It enables you. In other words, the woman that was healed of the blood issue, she kept saying, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. As soon as she heard about Jesus, faith came. And as soon as it came, she started to confess. But then she was enabled by God's spirit because she's, she, you got to remember, she's weak. She was able to press through that crowd. The Holy Spirit enabled her to get through the crowd until she touched Jesus. You may need a touch from Jesus. And God, if you use your faith, the blessing will enable you to get to the place that you know. Hallelujah. Come on. Give God, give God praise. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, this is a very personal story, but it happened, you know, years ago when I uh, had problems with my voice. It was really difficult. I mean, I, I, I couldn't talk very well to my wife, and it was hard to communicate. And, and I kept getting bad news after bad news after bad news. And I remember my wife was, you can imagine how she felt. She was crushed. And she's at the end of herself, doesn't know what to do. She's in our closet, walk-in closet, praying, and she's completely broken. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We're going to lose everything. And you know what the Lord told her to do? Sing, Jesus loves me. And she started singing, Jesus loves me. And the anointing of God fell on her and gave her the endurance and the patience and the faith to get through what we went through. 
till our miracle came. Can you say amen? When you just totally give up. And you trust in him, not in yourself. And he reminds you of what he did for you. It'll change you. Let me close with this one illustration. You know how they catch monkeys? They take coconuts, cut off the end, empty it out, and they put food inside the coconut, nuts, and they tie the coconut to a tree or someplace. And the monkey sticks his hand in there to get the food and holds on to the food. And because he won't let go of the food, he's trapped. And they got the monkey because he won't let it loose. Sometimes they build boxes, put a banana in the box with a hole in it. He sticks in and gets that banana. I'm not letting go of the banana. I'm not letting go of the banana. And that's exactly what happens to a lot of Christians. They won't let loose of their ways. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are different. And many times we don't see the fruitfulness of life because we just won't let go of God's or let go loose of our ways to embrace his ways. Think about the world that we live in. And I'm not slamming anybody, but in the church this is even true. There are people who believe in Christ who believe the way the world believes because the world believes it. It's like recognizing homosexual unions in marriage. You can do that all you want, but it'll never be recognized in God's eyes. God didn't create Adam and Steve. Created Adam and Eve. It's always meant to be a male and a female. Amen? But there's loads of people, even in the church, that believe that way. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Well, how about this one? Uh, it's okay for the state to give our children authority that bypasses the parents. You want to get an abortion without your parents' permission? No problem. You want to get a sex change without your parents' permission? No problem. Now, I'm not here to judge the, the world, but I'll judge the church. God's word says that the parent has authority over the child. The child doesn't have authority over the parent. Hallelujah. And you can look at our world, and there is so much confusion. Abortion. There are some Christians that think it's okay to abort a baby. In God's vision, it isn't. Here's how I look at it. You look at the stage here. It's, I, not, what would you guess how long it is? How, many, how long do you think it is? Take a guess. 60 feet? No, that's, that's not even close. 80? Something like that? Big stage. Okay, you can have your opinion say, this is what I think it is. Great, great opinion. Once I get the tape measure out, and I get to that point and run over all the way over to here, the argument is mute. This book is the measuring tool. This book is written by the author of creation. And God's word says what is right and what is wrong. I don't care what parties in politics. The reality is that book is what draws the line. That's what it measures out. That's what it says. And that's what is going to make your joy full. 
Not what the world decides, but what God's word decides. I'm going to agree with God's ways, not man's way. I'm going to agree with his way of having peace, his way of having joy. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.